0: Have you ever walked through a cemetery and just read tombstones? I mean, I know it's probably not your favorite pastime, but it can be very interesting, especially, you know, the older cemeteries. You know, you, you uh, see uh, some of the inscriptions on the tombstones, and you can learn a lot about that person from those inscriptions, uh, you know, what their family thought of them or, you know, what was important to them. And I actually uh, found several uh, recorded tombstone inscriptions that do tell us a lot about the individuals uh, that passed away and and their family's opinion of them. Uh, One from Vista, California just simply says, you can't win. That tells you a lot about their, their opinion of life, right? I mean, it's kind of sad, I mean, the, the, but that was their, that's what they wanted on their tombstone. Um, and this one is just is full of emotion and incredibly, incredibly sad. It just said, our darling son, May the 3rd, 1940 to May the 7th, 1940. It's heartbreaking, right? That tells you a lot right there. I mean, that, that, how, how many emotions did you feel just now? Uh, hearing that it draws emotion now, there are some that are humorous. Uh, this one uh, from eighteen o three a man by the name of John Barnes passed away and, and his widow uh, wanted to uh, leave a message on his tombstone uh, and and uh, said in sacred memory of my husband John Barnes, who died January the third nineteen o three or eighteen o three rather uh, his Lovely young widow, age 23, has many qualifications of a good wife and yearns to be comforted. I mean, you know, I don't know who's walking through the cemetery looking for a wife, but you know, whatever. But just then, the, the range of emotions, right? You know, something very serious and, you know, y- y'all know I do that on purpose, Right. Uh, here's one from England somebody in England saw this inscription Uh, Sir John Strange here lies an honest lawyer and that is strange now I'm kidding I know we have a lawyer in the church there are honest lawyers there are but you know I didn't write it Uh, In a Georgia cemetery simply just said I told you I was sick (laughs) yeah that's it yeah that's all the grave of Ellen Shannon in Girard, Pennsylvania, reads almost like a consumer tip or a warning. Was fatally burned March the 21st, 1870 by the explosion of a lamp filled with R.E. Danforth's non-explosive burning fluid. <laughs> so don't buy that. And this one is probably my favorite. <clears throat> Here lies Ezekiel Akel, age 102, the good die young. On every tombstone, regardless of what the inscription is, there's something that represents your life, and that's the dash. That represents your life. Um, though that, that small little dash tells a huge story to the people that know you, the people that are familiar, your family, your friends. Our lives are a testimony. Whether we're intentional or not, our lives are a testimony. And that dash tells the story. So the question this morning as we finish our series on Moses, is how how would you sum up your life? Maybe more importantly, how would the people that know you the best sum up your life? I mean, if somebody was writing your inscription on your tombstone, how would they sum up your life, the life that you've led, the example that you've left? Again, we're finishing this series. We took a break, uh, and we're finishing up our series on the, the life of Moses, his journey of faith. And in this series, we've been studying uh, God's spiritual principles. Uh, we're looking at the life of Moses to see those spiritual principles so that we can live a spiritual life in Christ. God's plan, his will, his best for us, experiencing his best for us. And we've seen Moses go through quite a journey in that, haven't we? And, and, and getting to the point where God uh, could use him, where he would make himself available. We talked about how he spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody in Egypt. He spent his next 40 years learning that he was a nobody in Midian. And then he spent his last 40 years learning what God could do with a nobody. Uh, God can use anyone, and Moses had to get to the point of humility before he could truly experience God's plan for him and live out God's plan for him. Now, when we left off three weeks ago, we were in the book of Exodus, and we're just going to fast forward. We're going to basically jump right over Leviticus and Numbers right to the end of Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to kind of give you a real fast uh, summary, a short summary on what happened between where we left off and where we are today, of course, in the book of Leviticus, we have uh, the Levitical law given. And I read through that, and one thing that comes to my mind, uh, there's a lot to be taken from there, but one thing is, boy, I'm thankful we live under grace, aren't you? I mean, just all of the laws that, that had to be kept in order to be clean and, and, and acceptable, to even be near the presence of God. Um, the Levit- Levitical law shows us that, and then we see in the book of Numbers, God's people are counted. And it's easy to, to just you know, skim through that, but there's a lot in the book of Numbers. If nothing else, uh, one thing you can take away from that is it doesn't matter who you are, your life matters. I mean, you count to God. Every one of God's people uh, is, is important to Him. And so your life matters, and God knows you by name. When you look at all those names, remember that God knows your name. And then in Numbers chapter 13, we see the spies sent into the promised land to scout out God's promised land to his people. God's already said, you're going to take it, you're going to have it. The spies go in, and of course, the result is that Ten of the twelve don't want to go in. They're afraid of the people. The land's exactly the way God said it would be, but there are giants in the land, and they're afraid. And so Israel follows those, that majority, they rebel, and then God punishes them for their rebellion. The punishment is everybody except for Joshua and Caleb that's 20 years old or older would now be sentenced to die in the wilderness, and that includes Moses. You may say, well, that's not fair, but that's how God handled it. God is very fair, and Moses was their leader. And so we get to this point in Deuteronomy chapter 34, where Moses is at the end of his life, and he would he would die before entering the promised land. He'll get to see it, but he won't get to go into the promised land, and that's where we pick up. Moses has said his goodbyes, he's handed over leadership to Joshua, his successor, and now he's ready to go home. So today, we're going to celebrate Moses' life together. We're going, this is his obituary. We're going, this is his, his funeral service, I guess, his celebration of life. We're going to look at the legacy that Moses left behind for us to follow. We learn from his obituary in Deuteronomy 34, characteristics about a life lived in faithfulness to the Lord. Characteristics that you and I need to imitate. Uh, first being this, like Moses, we can be prepared for death. Moses was prepared. When his time came, he was prepared for death. In verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 34, we discover where Moses died. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. So we have his place of death. But, you know, one of the things that strikes me and one of the reasons he was prepared about Moses that that interests me is that Moses was active all the way up to the very end. You know, I'm a baseball fan, and I enjoy baseball. Uh, I'm a Braves fan, and, uh, you know, one of the oldest players to ever play the game played for the Braves for a time, Uh, a player by the name of Julio Franco, and I remember him playing. And matter of fact, the last time he played uh, was in 2007 for the Braves, and he was 49 years old at the time. Uh, which is amazing. I mean, he was he was uh, that he was able to continue uh, to do that, but he did at the age of forty five. As a matter of fact, he played for the Braves. Left, he came back in two thousand seven. But he was playing for the Braves at forty five. Uh, he actually hit three hundred for the season, and and he played in one hundred twenty five games. I just turned forty four this week, and I you know I, it just amazes me that this. I mean, not that I could ever do that anyway, but I mean three 300 batting average 125 games at 45 years old and he continued to play he was last in the majors in 2007 but he continued to play in Japan until 2015 his last season he was 57 years old um, that's amazing that he could stay in that kind of shape another uh, athlete uh, Gary Player a famous golfer you know he's 85 years old he's retired now but he still shoots around par which is impressive What's even more impressive is that at 85, he says he still does hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sit ups a day when he doesn't travel. And he can still, when he's lifting weights, he can still lift 345 pounds. I mean, 85 years old. Uh, He's healthier than most people half his age, Uh, many people half his age. Um, Impressive, but not quite as impressive as Moses. Moses, 120 years old, and he goes on a four thousand five hundred mile hike straight up a mountain. I mean, to die. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't do that right now. One hundred twenty years old. He goes on this hike up to this mountaintop to where God is going to put him to rest, to where he's going to be be buried. Um, Moses did just that. Now again, not too many one hundred twenty year old men can climb up that mountain and live to tell about it, because there aren't any 120-year-old men alive that I'm aware of. Uh, Not too many 85-year-old men could climb up a mountain and live to tell about it. But Moses did it. And, and, you know, when, when you look at Moses, again, he's missing out on the promised land. He's on the verge. He doesn't get to go in. Um, he's been faithful, but what we don't see, we see vitality, we see energy, we see commitment, but we, what we don't see here is self-pity. Uh, we don't see Moses um, at the end of his life pitching a fit over what he doesn't get to do. He knew he's going to die. God had told him that he would. God had already replaced him. Joshua was his successor. That, that's in place. God's already replaced him. And for the first time in forty years, and maybe this is one reason he's not complaining right now. For the first time in forty years, uh, the responsibility of leadership is on somebody else's shoulders. Uh, I can identify with that. You know, maybe maybe he's he's just happy that Joshua is calling the shots now, and he's not having to to do that. But you know, he, uh, he, you, we could all look at this and say, man, I'd be, I'd be upset all these years and not getting to go into the promised land. But no, Moses, he's at the end of his life, and he's, he's at peace. He's satisfied. He, he is submitted to God's plan for his life and for his death. Um, this teaches us that for us as believers, we have no reason to fear. Um, We can be at peace. We can be satisfied even when we're facing death. Because of Christ, because he has defeated death, we we have no reason to fear either in life or in death. And Moses was not. He he didn't run. He wasn't panic-stricken. And we don't have to be either. We can trust the Lord. Um, One day, we will all die. And, you know, that's not to make you feel bad, but you know, just those tombstone inscriptions are a reminder. You know, we will all be faced with that. It's a part of life. And what someone once said, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And Moses was ready. He was prepared. He was prepared to leave this earth. Look at verses 1 through 3. And the, Lord, the last part of verse 1, The Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, All the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. You know, he's faced with death and God's giving him this view of the promised land. He's opening up a new view. And in a similar way, when we're faced with death, we have a new view open to us. Although it's much better than what Moses is seeing right here. Um, we, you know, what's in front of us for the believer is, is, is what we're in now doesn't compare in the slightest to what we will see when we, um, leave this world, when Christ calls us home, a heavenly view. It's a whole new dimension. Paul tells us in first Corinthians two, nine, no, eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And you know, this, yeah, Moses is overlooking the promised land, but what's ahead of him is even greater. I mean, Moses is is looking forward to heaven and, you know, a place that makes the promised land look like my backyard. I mean, that's the reason he's not complaining here is he's been faithful. He is not afraid. He's at peace. He's accepted God's plan for him. And he knows, yeah, I'm not going to the promised land. I'm going somewhere far better than that. He knows his destiny is secure. God said to Moses, Moses, it's time to come home. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. Moses, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. And that was it. The death of a true hero. Moses is gone. Um, Whether you consider yourself a hero or not, I think we agree that Moses is a spiritual giant. We look at him as such, and appropriately so, not because of him, but because of what he allowed God to do through him, what God did do through him. Uh, You know, he is he is somebody to look to, Uh, whether you consider yourself in the ballpark or not, a spiritual hero or not. We all come to this moment. We will all face that. And and when I think of this reality, two things come to mind: the reality of death. One is the aloneness of death, not loneliness. It's two different things. Loneliness has the idea of being all alone and desperate, reaching out for anybody or anything. Aloneness simply means that nobody else is there. No person is there with you. It's not lonely, but Moses was alone. He was by himself. Nobody goes with him. The Talmud says man is born with his fist clenched but dies with his hands open. When it's your time to go, you can't take anything or anybody with you. I mean, we all face death alone in the sense that we don't have any possessions, anything that we can take with us. Um, Moses is all by himself. All he's, he, all that he has is he's leaving behind his legacy, but all that he has with him is God, and that's enough. That's all he needs. He's secure in his death. He's left an incredible legacy, though, right? I mean, you know, we it, 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 we can look at his life, and we've looked at that over the past several weeks, and we've seen that legacy, and he has left a legacy. Um, he's done incredible things. But he, right now, in this moment, not, that yes, it matters, but it doesn't matter in terms of where he's going. He's secure because of who God is. Um, you know, if we, if we admit it, all of us, we don't like to be alone. I mean, some people are... Are, are more loners than others, but we were built for relationships. I mean, that's how God built us. That's one of the reasons that this pandemic has been so difficult, is that we've had to be separated. But even now, I mean, in the middle of, of social distancing, we're, we're constantly surrounded by people, right? I mean, we see people everywhere we go, and if, if we're not physically in, in contact with people, we've got, you know, Uh, FaceTime, we've got Skype, we've got Zoom, we we can get in touch with people, we can have contact with people. None of us like to be alone, and maybe that's one of the reasons that death scares us so much, because that is something that we face alone in the sense that no other friends or family will be there with us. But it's not alone in the sense that no one is there with you, because if you are a child of God, Jesus is there with you. Um, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, is there with you always. Uh, but we don't like to be alone. Moses is alone in the sense that no other humans are present, but he's not in the sense that the Lord is with him, and that's why he is—he's just fine with what God's calling him to do to, to here. Uh, the next thing I think about is the security of death. You know, he's alone, yet Moses is secure. And his death. Moses died as the Lord had said, or according to the word of the Lord. Uh, we're told. Everything ended for Moses exactly as God had planned. I mean, his life, you know, the last 40 years of his life, Moses submitted, he followed God, and, and his life unfolded the way God planned, including the day of his death. It ended as God had planned. God knows everything about your life and my life, there's great security in that. God has my days numbered. I don't know what those are, but he does. And that's why I can leave here. I don't have to be afraid. Whether I'm boarding a plane, crossing a street, getting in my car to go home, lying down to go to sleep at night, God has my days numbered. I don't have to concern myself with that. I can rest in the fact that I'm his and that he's in control. And Moses had that same comfort. And that's why there is security for the believer. Those who are in Christ, there's security. Um... Look at verse 5 again. Only put those two phrases at the beginning and the end side by side. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, occur according to the word of the Lord. That's kind of like a, you could say that's a motto for Moses' life, couldn't you? A servant of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord. These two phrases fit together, and that's what brought Moses comfort. Aloneness and security, those two things side by side seem a little strange, don't they? I mean, that's not the first thing that probably pops into your head when you hear those two words together, especially when you're talking about death. But if you don't want to fear death, you have to put those two things together in um, the way that we think about death. You know, Paul was able to do this, and that's why he could write in Philippians 1, 21 and 22, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. Moses died all by himself, but he was secure. We see in these last six verses of chapter 34 that news of his death spreads 120 years on this earth, walking with the Lord, especially the last 40 years. He had accomplished incredible things. He was an educated man. He had done incredible things for the Lord. He had accomplished a lot in his life. But all that went away, all of that goes away at his death. All he has is God, and that's enough. I mean, Moses is saved by the same faith that you and I are saved. His was just an anticipatory faith. But he has salvation, he has God, and that's all he needs. He was prepared. And one of the reasons... He's secure is because God has secured him. It's the same promise for us. If we are in Christ, then we are secure. Nothing can take away our salvation. As a matter of fact, if this isn't in your, in your notes or on your PowerPoint, uh, but if you look at John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus speaks to this. He said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. I mean, when we are saved, we are in God's hand. And he says, you know, I'm going to hold on to you so tight that nobody can take you away. I mean, it's, it's as if I were to take these coins and put them in my hand and ask maybe two of my youngest children, to come up here and help me (laughs) and see if they can pull these coins out of my hand, all right? I mean, you think I'm strong enough to hold on to these coins? All right, why don't you try it first, Annie? Try to get my hand open, hard as you can. Don't hurt yourself or me. (laughs) All right, all right. Okay, don't fall. All right, you want to try? Go for it. Come on, would y'all both like to try together? Don't hurt yourself. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. It's getting out of hand. All right. But hey, stay here. Stay here. Wait a minute. It's pretty hard, right? And listen, there's probably somebody in this room that could open my hand, but you guys can't, right? Y'all tried really hard. How badly would you like to have these coins? Pretty. But unless I let you have them, you're not having them, right? Matter of fact, these coins they're not going to jump out of my hand either, right? I mean, that's just not possible. It's not physically possible. Us, You may say, well, you know, what if I choose to run away from God? What if I choose to leave him? By him saying he's got a hold of you, he's saying I'm not going to let you do that. When we are his, we are his. He's not going to let us go. He could, I guess, because, you know, he's God. It wouldn't agree with his character, so in that sense he couldn't. But... Even if he could, he's saying, I won't. He's saying, I've got you, and I'm not going to let go. And so just like they can't open my hand, there's nothing you or anybody else can do to take you away from God. That's why we believe in eternal security. That's why we believe once saved, always saved. That's what brings us comfort, and that's what brought Moses comfort. Because I'm a dad who loves his kids, You, this won't get you much today, but here's... Fifty cents, here's fifty cents. Y'all can buy me a piece of candy later. Thank you guys. <laughs> but that's just, you know, a a a small illustration of what God is saying there. You want to know why Moses was so secure? Because he believed that. He believed he belonged to God. And he knew that nothing could change that. And he knew that To be absent from this life was to be with the Lord, and he was ready for that. He was at peace with that. He was prepared, and it gave him a proper perspective on life. And like Moses, you and I, a second lesson we can learn from his life is that we can have a proper perspective on life. Death has a way of putting things in perspective, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I'll never forget. Um, It's easy to become familiar with death. I mean, you know, it may be hard to imagine, but depending on your profession— Uh, It's easy to become familiar with. I'll I'll never forget when I was in junior high school. uh, When I was in the youth group, we did Judgment House. Do you all remember Judgment House? Yeah, you would have. Uh, it would, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, it was a skit that you would do. That you would you would go through different scenes throughout the church, and each room would be a different scene. And there would be usually be the story of of someone who died, and or two people who died. One goes, they go to judgment. One goes to heaven. One goes to hell. The whole idea being you know, judgment, judgment house. And and one year we had in our chapel in our church a a funeral scene where we had a casket in there, and somebody actually played the part of laying in the casket i don't know if you want that part but somebody played that part and i remember one wednesday night um it was right before we uh were starting judgment house they had been practicing doing dress rehearsals and the casket was in the powell chapel and this will tell you uh, a little bit about mine and my dad's relationship uh we uh, and it will explain to my kids why i torture them so much but my dad and his friend man by the name of dan Toller, dared he and he, dan's son john and i grew up together we were really close And so my dad and his dad got together and decided to dare us to go into the Powell Chapel where this was. I mean, if you're you're brave enough, go in there. You guys go in there by yourselves. My dad was standing outside, and it was just kind of a, a joke to see if we would do it. But what I did not know was that my dad's friend, my friend's dad, Dan, was hiding inside the casket. So we walk in Powell Chapel, walk up to the casket, and he pops out just at the right time and just about scared us to death. Needless to say, I was a little skittish around caskets for a while after that. Now as a pastor, fast forward 16 years as a pastor, I can stand right next to one and not even think about it. Why is that? Well, I've been around them. I mean, I've just, you become familiar with that and that's normal you know if you're in the profession of if you're a, a, a if you work at a funeral home if you're a mortician or something like that you get used to death I mean you're around it I and mean, of course it's different when it's someone you know and you care about and it's not to say you don't care about that person or their family it's just you get used to being around it and that that's that's normal but you know there is a sense where you can get too familiar or too comfortable with death where it's not normal, and it's not healthy to the point, or you avoid it altogether. You avoid thinking about it altogether because you're afraid or whatever. I mean, we all have to deal with it. We all have to think about it. We all have to consider that that is in our future because that's reality. That's life. That is what we're faced with. Now, I have to admit, you know, you know if, you, if you get to that point um, where, you're, where you don't think about it, um, there are things in life that can, that can remind you and, and bring, it, bring it back into focus. And when it does, it does bring your life into perspective. Um, but but you, you, you've got to be willing to face it. Now, I've never buried a 120-year-old. The closest I came, I did the funeral of a 103-year-old lady at my former church, which is impressive. Um, but, but she wasn't climbing mountains at 103 years old. Um, I've definitely never met somebody that could do anything like that anywhere close to that age. But the Bible tells us in verse 7 Deuteronomy 34, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. I mean, he was he was spry. He was just as active. He stayed active. Moses never sat around in a rocking chair. He stayed active right up until the very end of his life. He never slowed down in serving God. He never retired from ministry of serving the Lord. He, that's how he maintained that perspective. Moses had a proper perspective at the end of his life because he continued to serve the Lord until the end of his life. He never got to the point to where he thought, hey, I've done all, I've done my part, I've done enough, I don't need to do any more. He never got to that point. And, and, and that's because first he had a relationship with the Lord. He was saved, again, by the same faith that you and I are. His was just looking forward to the promised Messiah. Ours, we're looking back to the faith that Jesus has come and he's already died for our sins. But he was saved. So he had a relationship with God. And the second thing was he served Faithfully served the Lord faithfully. That's why he had the perspective that he did. You can better believe that when Moses died and, and the next face he saw, when he saw God, you better believe he got his well-done, good, and faithful servant. I mean, he wasn't perfect. We've seen that. He didn't do everything right, but he was faithful. He, he submitted to the Lord. He served the Lord faithfully, and he never stopped. 120 years old. He was still serving the Lord just as actively as he did 40 years before that, when he really fully gave his life to the Lord. Um, I mean, he was faithful, and he stayed that way. One of our biggest problems today, and, you know, listen, I know some of you are laughing at me because, you, you know, you, you've got a few years on me, but I just turned 44. And, you know, things change when you turn 40. You hear that your whole life, and it's true. You know, things start to change. But one of the biggest mistakes we make, I think, is that we get old before we get old. Now, I've been complaining all week about being old. My kids have been making fun of me all week about being old. But we get old before we get old. We give up. We decide, oh, it's, you know, it's time, to, time to quit. It's time to stop. Let somebody else do it. I've done my part. And, and that's a dangerous thing to get into that attitude. You know, speaking against retirement, I mean, you know, everybody does, you know, you work and you earn your retirement, you know, retire from your your work, but don't stop living, don't stop serving the Lord. I mean, we get to a point to where we think, well, it's somebody else's turn. No, God still has a plan for you. Whether you're nine or 90, if you've still got breath in your lungs, God has a plan for you. And he wants to use you for his glory and for his service. Not to mention those of you that are, Advanced in years, you've got wisdom that those of us who still like to call ourselves young need, whether I am or not. I mean, there's wisdom. There's experience in serving the Lord. God's got a plan for you whether you're young or old. You can serve the Lord. Moses' perspective on life was this. This is a great a great attitude to adopt. As long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to do my part. He never gave up. He never stopped. Moses had this perspective, and that allowed him to live life to the fullest. And like Moses, we can live life to the fullest. His perspective, his relationship with God, his perspective on life, he was prepared for death, he had the right perspective, and he lived life to the fullest. The truth is you're as old as you want to be. Now, I'm not discounting physical ailments and things that come with age. That's real. you know. But you and I both know how we live life, what we do or don't do, has a lot to do with our attitude and our perspective on life. What we think is important, what we think is valuable or not—a I mean, lot, even how we feel, to a great degree, has a lot to do with our attitude. I mean, there have been scientific studies, medical studies on how you know your attitude and and even depression and things like that. Not that you know you, there are chemical de- things that happen that are outside of people's control. I'm not discounting that. That's real. But even that can have a negative impact on your health, right? And the way I look at my life, the way I value my life, what I choose to do with my time and with my body physically can have great impact on my life. It has a lot to do with how we think. Jim Elliott once said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. I mean, think about it. what's the alternative. We're faced with difficult circumstances right now. Things are scary. I mean, do we crawl in bed, pull the covers over our head and give up? I mean, that's one option. I mean, yes, we should be careful. We should be distanced. We should, you know, watch out for other people and and all of those things. But I, I would submit that giving up on life is not the answer. And I've met people that have done that, not just now, but I mean, you know, throughout my ministry, I've met people that just give up and they don't want... To deal with life anymore because of whatever circumstance and and, and it's amazing what that will do you know I've I've had folks that go through the same surgeries at the same age one give up on life the other be determined to get better and the one who gave up didn't fare well and never got out of a nursing home or an assisted living the other make it through and and do just fine and there are a lot of factors in that, but a lot of it's attitude and a lot of it is, is commitment and, and, and what, what I want to do and what I think I should be doing and whether or not I think I'm important or still usable by God. The physical is important when serving the Lord, but make no mistake, the spiritual is even more important. You know, where am I spiritually in my relationship with God? You know, what, what did God write on Moses' tombstone about this aspect of his life? Look at verse 10. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I mean, think about it. When Joshua wanted to get advice from the Lord, direction from God, he had to go through the high priest. Moses didn't have to do that. He had a face to face relationship with God. He had a close relationship with the Lord. His 120-year-old life, the the last 40 years especially, he walked. It was characterized by a face-to-face walk with God. Man, that's a pretty good way to be characterized. Wouldn't you agree? That's that's what I'd like on my tombstone. He walked with the Lord. I'd be fine with that. If that's all anybody said about me, I'd be fine with that. It makes me ask, though, how is my walk with Jesus? How is my relationship with Christ, my spiritual life, Do I walk with him daily? Do I study his word? Do I spend time with him? Do I walk in communion with him? Do I have an ongoing relationship with him where I'm growing actively and serving actively? Am I living life to the fullest in that sense, making the most of the time God has given me? Are we truly experiencing the abundant life that God promises That's only possible if we have that face-to-face relationship, that active relationship with God, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we'll live life to the fullest, to fulfill God's plan for us just like Moses did. I want to be around people who know the Lord like Moses did. And I know people like that. I've got people in my life like that. There are some of you here today I know who are like that. I want to be around those people because I want to be one of those people. I want to walk with the Lord, as Moses did. You know, in a sense, we can't have the same type of relationship that Moses did. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. The then in that verse is talking about the future when we will receive our glorified bodies and we will be in the presence of Jesus. Not only that, we will be like Jesus. We will be perfect. Not until then. On the other hand, though, Paul also says, he prays in Ephesians 1, 18 through 19, "...I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling." What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the work of his vast strength? And then he also asks in Colossians 1.9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He could also say Paul could about his own life in Philippians 3. Eight and ten. More than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. My goal, verse ten, is to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. And then he can write about Moses, Paul does in Second Corinthians, chapter three, verses seven and eight. Now, if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The Verse 11, for if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness, we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. In verse 18, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord of His Spirit. So we don't have the same relationship with God, maybe, that Moses did. We have a different relationship. We can go know God intimately in a way that not even Moses could. Why? Because... We have his presence, his spirit living in us. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, Moses, he spoke to God face to face, but we have a relationship with God, again, that he didn't even have. Um, yes, he's saved by the same faith we are, but, you know, New Covenant, the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit, it's different. Um, man, Moses' legacy is face-to-face relationship with the Lord. That's the way we look at him. But what about the people that he led? You know, I've often, uh, you know, at times I've thought, reading through the story, I think, as I'm studying through it, do these people love him? Do they really love him? Well, we, that, that issue settled in verse 8 of chapter 34, Deuteronomy. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. 30 days. His ministry was so special to them, that they mourned him for 30 days. The mourning did come to an end, and there's a time for that. There's a time to mourn. You lose somebody, you need to mourn, and that you'll be forever changed. That scar is always there, but there is a time to move on, and they did. They mourned, and then they moved on, and you don't ever forget that person. It doesn't mean they mean any less to you, but you have to move on with life, but they mourned him, and then they then we know that Moses, he dies, he's buried. And the interesting thing is, um, in verse 6, we read, He buried him, God buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor. And no one to this day knows where his grave is. You ever wonder why God did that? Why he buried him somewhere and didn't tell anybody? What what do you think would have happened if the Israelites knew? These folks who have a tendency to create idols. That that place would have become the second Mecca. They'd be selling tickets and running trams up there to this day so people could go and worship the gravesite of Moses. God knew they had what was in front of them was more important than what was behind them. They had a future, the promised land, and they had already rebelled against God once. They didn't need anything else distracting them, keeping them from moving into the promised land. And so they needed to move forward, and, and so God didn't tell them where he buried him. The story of Moses... It perfectly wrapped up for us in verses 10 through 12. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's his legacy. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and all, to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Joseph Renan, a famous French philologist and historian, said this about Moses. He said he is a colossal among figures of humanity, and he is. I mean, listen, Moses is a spiritual giant, and we should look up to him and remember him as such. His faithfulness. We we read. This part of Moses' story, we think about all the things that God did through him, all the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles, all that God performed through him. Moses, we think about him. Yes, he's a spiritual giant, but we, we tend to think about him as being in some other league that we can't even relate to. I mean, let's be honest, we do, don't we? We look at him, we, stay, we look at all the signs, all the wonders, all these things, and we have a tendency to think, well, yeah, but that was Moses. We can't, I can't do that. I mean, God may not call you to do signs and wonders, that sort of thing, but don't forget... Moses was an ordinary guy who lived in an ordinary world, very similar to what you and I face, who made mistakes, faced great challenges, didn't always handle them well, by the way, yet he made himself available and was used by God for God's glory and did incredible things for the Lord. Don't forget, he was a murderer, okay? He had made his mistakes. He didn't always handle life perfectly. So when we see him at 120 years old, this obituary, and think, well, he's a spiritual giant, I could never do anything like that. Don't forget, he was an ordinary person just like you and me. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The difference came at 80 years old when Moses said, okay, I'll do what you want, your way, not my way. I'm not going to try to do your your thing my way, God. I'm going to let you do your thing your way through me. When he got to that point, that's when God went to work. In that last 40 years. Man, that last 40 years. God did an incredible work in and through Moses. And we have, we have the record. We have the example. But I just want to wrap up this series by highlighting really quickly three areas of Moses' life that, that, that gave his life meaning and depth and perspective. And we'll end with this. One, Moses discovered that the secret... To fulfillment in life is getting involved i mean he fought god send somebody else i can't talk on and on and on he fought god's plan he resisted god's plan but in the end he submitted and he got active he got involved he said lord use me he was willing to go and god used him he got involved the secret to fulfillment is involvement pitching in getting involved getting busy doing god's work Doing it his way, at his leadership, submitting to him. Moses learned that lesson too, but doing God's will. Moses was, don't forget, Moses was 80 when God called him. All right? You're not too young. You're not too old. If if you're alive, God can use you. All right? I mean, think about it, even just looking at a newborn's face radiating the glory of God, God's using that child. But if I'm old enough to make a conscious decision, I can can do something for the Lord. Uh, If you're alive today, God can use you. Stay involved. Give until you don't have a breath left in your lungs. Continue to serve the Lord. Moses did that, and he found meaning in life. Moses also learned the secret to reality, or the secret reality in life is humility. If involvement gives life length, then humility gives life breadth. It gives life breadth. And boy, Moses, he learned this lesson the hard way. I mean, he got ahead of God and spent 40 years learning that lesson in Midian. But once he did, he learned humility. It took him 40 years to graduate from that school of humility, but he learned it, and he did. Once he learned, he never forgot. He never lost. He never got lost in his own pride. He stayed real. He stayed believable. He stayed humble, and we see it to the end of his life. Humility gives life breadth. So stay humble, stay available, stay approachable, stay real, believable. Take Solomon's advice in Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Finally, Moses learned the, the secret of happiness in life is perspective. So if involvement gives life length, meaning purpose, gives it length, and humility gives it breadth, then perspective is what gives it depth. Having the proper perspective on life that can only come from a relationship with God. As Moses looked over to the promised land, it would have been very easy for him to look and think about, only think about what he couldn't do. And think about it. He's looking at this beautiful promised land. He could easily look at that and say, man, I sure wish I was going there, and only dwell on what he can't do. But no, Moses had the right perspective. He had already submitted, he was humble. He had determined that God's way was best. He was going to follow God's plan regardless of where it led. He had settled that issue in his heart. He would not waver. He was faithful to the end. And because of that, he had the proper perspective in death. And he looked ahead to what was ahead, which was far greater than what lie behind. Moses had the right perspective, an eternal perspective. Just like Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.18, it's a secret. The secret to living life and to maintaining faith, to maintaining consistency, is an eternal perspective. To have, being at peace, uh, to, to, to not worrying, all of these things. Paul says, we do not fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen, that's eternal. Having an eternal perspective, that's what gives us the proper perspective in life. Always having an eye on eternity. I mentioned the dash. That tells a story. It tells your story. One day it will. Right now, you're living out that dash. There's a poem by Linda Ellis called The Dash that I want to finish with this morning. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that that first came her date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash, that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard are the things that you would like to change. For you can never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? If you were to die today, if I were to go today, what would the people who know me the best, how would they describe my dash? What would they say about my life? What would they say about your life? You know, would they say that you were faithful, that you live life to the fullest, that you, were, that you walked with God, that you had a face-to-face relationship with the Lord. If not, you can begin that part of your story today. You have to have the same faith that Moses did, the same faith that those of us who know Christ have. You have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how you begin that relationship. That's how you have the same confidence, the same perspective in life, the same perspective on death, the comfort, the assurance, the security that Moses had That all of us who know Christ have. But you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to have that. Do you have the right perspective? Are you living for the Lord if you do know Christ? Do you know the Lord, but if you do, are you living out your dash in a way that pleases Him? Are you living a living testimony? Will people say, he walked with God or she walked with God? Will that be a divining characteristic of your life? We have a God worth living for and worth dying for if necessary. If he calls us to, he deserves all of us holding nothing back, living for him, loving him, living out his plan for our lives, not ours, not our own, advancing his kingdom, not our own. Moses teaches us that regardless of whether we live or or die, period, God remains worthy of our praise and he is worthy of all of us. Everything that we are, everything that we have, it should be our goal, just as it was Moses' goal, to bring honor, whether through my life or through my death. My desire should be to honor and glorify him. And here's the thing. If you do that, think about your dash. Think about your tombstone. If you do that, if you live for his glory with all that you are, with all that you have, your tombstone will take care of itself. That dash, that story will write itself. It'll be the testimony of your faithfulness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for the testimony of Moses. Thank you for his faithfulness. That we can look at his life and see an ordinary guy who was not perfect, who made mistakes, didn't always get it right, but, but submitted to you, was obedient to you, was faithful in his service. And in the end, we consider him a spiritual giant, not because of who he is, but because of who you are and were through him and who you will be through us if we will submit to you just as he did. You can use anyone for your glory, for your kingdom, but you don't force us into your service. We have to submit, but I pray that we will. That begins with a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that if there's somebody here in this room or at home watching online, if they have not accepted your son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, if they've never come to a point in their life where they've admitted, as we all have to, that we've sinned, we've fallen short of your glory, we've made mistakes, that we can't get into heaven with the sin that we have in our lives, but also believe that, Jesus, you died a perfect, sinless death to take away that sin. If we will accept you, Jesus, as Lord, invite you into our lives, ask you to forgive us of our sin, that you will do that. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who hasn't made that decision, that right now they would. That they would just cry out to you where they are, invite you into their lives, and receive the gift of salvation. For those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would look at the life of Moses and evaluate how we're living out our dash. How are we, what legacy are we leaving? Is it a legacy of faithfulness or is it something else? Are we building your kingdom or another kingdom? What do the people who know us the best say about us? What will they say? Lord, I pray that we would live lives of faithfulness for your sake and your glory. Not our own, not anyone else's, but for your glory. That our desire would be to know you intimately, personally, to walk with you daily, to grow in you, to grow in our knowledge of you, and to help others come to know you that the testimony of our lives would be they walked with God and that that would be evident in everything that we do. We thank you for that privilege of being known by you and being able to know you. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.